Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 20 of the Two Pat Stack podcast. Pretty exciting. We've already reached 20 episodes. Uh, Two Pat Stack is brought to you in partnership with Primetime Productions, as is tradition, and our friends over at SeatGeek. As a reminder, use promo code 2PADSTACKPOD, that's 2-P-A-D-S-T-A-C-K-P-O-D, to save 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. Um, as is tradition, I'm Ace, your host, alongside my wonderful co-host, Bursch. Bursch, how's it going, my friend? Oh, it's going, baby. Ready to rock this sucker tonight. Absolutely. Uh so we had we've talked about this a little bit before. We're getting into the holiday season. It's now uh we're reaching the midpoint of December. So uh listeners, you're running out of time to go and get those Christmas shopping uh items off your list. Um got an email today from the pro shop. If I want guaranteed shipping by Christmas or uh, arrival by Christmas, had to order today. So uh this is your Man, two uh, weeks. Two weeks yeah, out. Wow. This is your cursory reminder to uh make sure you, you get that stuff taken care of because us at the two pad stack we care about you and we want to make sure that you're doing what you need to do to support your friends and family and don't look like a disorganized mess so we're your friends we we care about you hell yeah (laughs) Um, yeah we do even though it doesn't feel like it's mid-december we had like a couple days there in, in November where it was like frigid. We had snow on the ground mm-hmm. here in New Hampshire, in Rochester, New Hampshire. And uh, now it's like we had like a flood outside today. And there's just water everywhere. My chickens are like, I don't even know what fucking month it is. <laughs> Dude, uh, yesterday I was walked out of work and I was like, holy crap. It's, it's like 60 degrees out down here in southern New Hampshire. 60 degrees on december 10th like and I, I i know that you know you know through through work and everything that this is an uh, an el nino winter so like it's going to be warmer than most winters but like 60 degrees in december around christmas time doesn't even make it feel like christmas time to me i don't know how you feel about that but yeah i want, no, I want I'm it right cold there with you yeah like i mean you hear all the christmas music and the weather outside is for all oh, you get all that mm-hmm. shit and uh yeah, yeah, 50 degrees, 60 degree weather in December, it just does not have me in the Christmas spirit. Like instead of giving and and the joy of giving, like when it's like that, I want to go out and take. I, I want to be just um, you know, a curmudgeon like the Grinch. So oh. can I can I just say I, I I've been watching Christmas movies with my three-year-old mm. and we, we like the old he likes the old like claymation, you know, the year without a Santa Claus. Santa Claus is coming to town, you know. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah. I'll, t- I'll tell you this right now. I was watching Rudolph with him the other day, and I was listening to the words and the, that were coming out of, like, these. And the way that the characters were flowing, I'm like, dude, this is not aged well. This would not fly today. Oh, no, my dude. I was like, I, I it cracked me up because I'm like, I never noticed this before. And now, you know, given you know the state of the world that we live in, I'm like, whoa. This would not fly in 2023. Well, I mean, like, there's, like, classic songs that are just like that. Like, Baby, It's Cold Outside. Like, like, that's not going to, that's not good, man. Um, And they still play it. Uh, There's plenty of alternative Christmas music that you can play that you don't need to worry about that stuff. But no, you're 100% right. Like, the world itself, even, like, I mean, hell, even 20 years is significantly different than the way it is now. And if you go back to like 
50 60 years ago it's like mm-hmm. a different planet entirely it's it's wild um did you get your uh your christmas shopping done started started huh yeah we started actually i started today believe it or not i was i had to get my uh my tires changed at walmart on my 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 commuter car so i was like i'll go do some shopping i went and looked around for some toys for the kids i'm like bought bought a couple of things and you know so i got it kicked off we know what we're gonna end up getting it's just we actually have to get it for for the oldest like obviously with the babies like we're not gonna get anything real major for them just yet we already have too many toys for our, for our three-year-old so it's like i really don't want to add any more into this house we already have so much but you know do you do you guys do elf on the shelf for your kids no, or God, did no. you yeah man so that is way too much pressure man like I, the fact that like these parents have done this to themselves like it's already enough of a facade to manage the whole santa claus thing the easter bunny the mm-hmm. tooth fairy like at some point like I'm done lying to my kids. Like, yeah. And, and adding more work. It's already hard enough to be a parent, man. I don't want to have my kid after I have had a terrible day at work. I feed the kids or the wife feeds the kids. And I just want to go to bed. I don't want to have my kid wake up in the morning and be like, daddy, the, the elf didn't move. Is he okay? Like, what's going on? No, like, I, just because I forgot. No, I'm not into that. I understand if you're a parent that does have that energy and that interest in, in doing that engagement. I'm not vilifying you. But uh, I no, that's that's a hard no for me. Yep, same here. We have no interest in doing that. Our lives are way too chaotic as it is with with the twin babies. Or like, no. But I have seen like where because my three year old is now in the three nature phase. I'm not sure if I brought that up before. Where everything is no or why or doesn't listen mm-hmm. or tantrums and all that. I have seen that having the elf on the shelf tell the kid to do something it will work it happened with a friend of mine got him to start redoing the potty training again and all that it worked i'm like it's still not worth the effort for me to do that i'll still tolerate and get get through get through the day without having to worry about forgetting to move that that elf somewhere Mm. so definitely not a thing that we'll be doing in my household no that's a hard no um football season's coming to a close is it not yeah we're getting towards the end here yeah yeah i think uh four games left nice uh pats can't get out of their own way huh you know what's best for them is just fucking lose and they come out and play probably their best game of the season i was laughing my ass off the entire game and like i was i was that was the same night that the bruins played i think it was the sabers was thursday night and i had the i I had the brew i had the game on i had the bruins on and it got to a point where i was just so glued on the patriots and just so entertained and laughing at how like good that they look and how bad the steelers look that was like the bruins are getting smoked they didn't show up on time i'm gonna just tune on the paths and just enjoy my night rather than getting pissed off at the bruins for not showing up for, for a night. But, but like and i've said this to a few people in the brewery when they come in and they, they want to talk sports and they're like oh what do you think about that pats game and i'm like the best thing for this franchise right now is to continue. There's no way you can make the playoffs. And that was officially confirmed. I think yesterday. Yes. Mathematically eliminated. Yep. Uh, And, and now we're going to suddenly learn how to play football again, when it's only going to make our draft pick worse. Like there's, if I remember right, uh, there's no draft lottery in the NFL. It's just strictly based on points percentage and, and uh, just record. Tie, mm-hmm. It's uh, it's co- uh, uh, quality of competition, isn't it? Like, is that the tiebreaker? Uh, I honestly, I'm not 100 percent sure off the top of my head, but it's it's the tiebreakers are built 
similar to uh you know the standings and stuff like that like there's yeah. no lottery for the top eight picks or whatever it's the worst team gets the best pick and so on and so forth down mm-hmm. down the order and you know i i I was a bit conflicted watching the game. I like the fact that they're going to have the opportunity to play spoiler down the road, down the road here, especially against the team. I hate the most. They got a game coming up, up in orchard park, New York a little bit later in the uh, month here. I'll Hashtag be Bill's mafia. Yeah. They, they had, a, they had a doozy last night. If you guys want to hear, hear me uh, give some takes about that game, come over to the break in the plane podcast. If you get your time. Yeah, so where can they find so that so for those of you that don't know or maybe haven't listened to us before talk about this, but Burge is the host of the Breaking the Plane podcast, also a partner of Primetime Productions and kind of like our sister podcast here, uh, or brother podcast mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, sibling podcast mm-hmm. uh, here on the two pad stack. Um, where where can they find you, Burge? Uh, we're on Twitter at BTP underscore podcast underscore we're anywhere you can get your podcast just like the same basically set up the same way as the two pad stack here get us anywhere with that give out our picks we like to do big gambling segment on the podcast too and uh my, my co-host uh joe sure over there i love getting into it with him he loves uh loves beating the, the the fire bill belichick train and i love pushing back and getting rises out of him and when you get a rise out of him it's good it's good so be sure to check us out we also we also love doing uh jersey giveaways like uh we do here at the pet stack occasionally so uh, in fact we got one going on right now by the time this drops you'll have a little bit of time to you know get in on a on a patriots jersey if you're interested so and it's not mac jones it's hunter henry which is much better than mac Mm -hmm. jones guys so jump in on that for sure absolutely hunter henry had himself a day on thursday so good timing on our part (laughs) so birds last week we talked about the Bobby Orr project um, with some of the folks from pastel network and the Bobby Orr group. Um, you know, it was still relatively new to, to Burge and myself, that whole world. And and having that interview with Anthony over there was really awesome. And we mm-hmm. learned a lot and um, you know, we've continued to be involved in their, in their community over there. Um, there was another trivia game and uh, your boy ACE came out on top. Once again, Burge was a part-time participant. He got yeah. in there and got a point. What, I got the first question. The first question, I smoked you. I smoked you. And you you just come in with the LOL after I put it out there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great. I was like, told you I'm here. And then, of course, I was in a, just going into a work meeting. So I had to I had to put the phone down. I couldn't I couldn't really participate further. And, yeah, and of course, you on PC with your little quick typing. We both had the Oshawa generals for his his junior team and you beat me to it because i'm sitting there typing on my phone and i mistyped something oh, i'm like, no, I, dude, I'm like <laughs> I was done instantly i was like god damn it <laughs> yeah um but yeah we're we're still super stoked about this project uh continuing our lo- relationship with the bob your collection folks um and and just want to remind you guys that you know, Bobby Orr is involved in this. So he is partnering with a artist out there and the pastel network to unveil the, the Bobby Orr collection. It's a tribute to his fans and his career. The collection includes digital trading cards, limited edition artwork, um, and more, um, including, you know, some really cool utility and physical perks. Um, so fans get a chance to have experiences like a one-on-one video call with Bobby Orr and access to signed uh, memorabilia. You're even maybe uh, getting op- an opportunity to go down to Florida and watch a Bruins game with him in his suite. Um, 
The inaugural release, the Or 1444 deck, it features unique digital trading cards of Bobby Orr with varying rarity. Um, it, it's all about, you know, actually creating a limited edition and not just using that term. Um, you're able to go ahead and, and participate. They, uh, they do have a website uh, that you can sign up at. That's www.bobbyor.io. Um, the pre-registration ends on December 15th. So at the time that this episode releases, it'll be on the 12th. So you'll have three days to sign up. Um, make sure you sign up before then. Uh, there's going to be art about Bobby Orr's cup winning dive. It's going to be done through large scale artworks, even physical desktop sculptures, life-size statues. Um, Paul Gerben is the artist that does all of it. He's known for his work at the intersection of fine art and Web3. Uh, he's got his stuff in the hands of, you know, really well-known people, really influential people, such as, you know, Jimmy Fallon, uh, former President Barack Obama, uh, fashion designer Tommy Hilfiger, and uh, um, entertainer Pink. So you can go ahead and check out their stuff. You can follow the Bobby Orr Collection at Orr Collection on Twitter or X or visit it on www.bobbyor.io for more information. We will have a link on our socials here at the Two Pad Stack that you can go ahead and click to get access to it. And that will help us track how many people we drive to that. So we would really appreciate it if you use that link. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm excited for myself. I'm going to get one. I haven't collected any digital uh assets before uh so really looking forward to uh kind of going down that road absolutely i'll be uh, be getting in on that as well nice fun in uh introduction into the nft world and like like you said the interview last week with anthony was unbelievable you know just hearing about how easy it's going to be to be able to get involved in something like this is is critical and you know who better for for all of us bruins fans to be involved with than, than Number four, Bobby. Number Orr. Like, four, Bobby Orr. Unbelievable, unbelievable way to get into it. So, definitely excited about that. And and it's not just. I had my apprehension and and my own suspicions when I first heard about this project, but I have literally interacted with Darren Orr, Bobby Orr's son, in the Discord for this project. So it's something that Bobby is very involved in, and it's a big reason why we, us here at the Two Bad Stack are interested in talking about this and it's a great partnership it's a it's a segue of tech and hockey and Burge and i are nerds if you don't know that by now <laughs> um and we're both huge hockey fans so it just made a lot of sense for us um speaking of the bees and hockey what did you think about that goose egg they laid against the buffalo Sabres, Burge? talk about a team just being asleep at the wheel at the start of this one right just came out with no fire you know they got down big and you know just seemed like they were never able to recover in this one and like like i said i i was half tuning in to the bruins half tuning into the pats before you know the the end of the second i was like okay i'm out but it's just it's just like these are nights that this team really cannot afford to have and i know you know you are going to run into these kind of hiccups throughout a 82 game regular season obviously they didn't last year so this should tell a lot of Bruins fans that this is not the same team that they were last year I think some people knew that without Bergeron and Krejci but like the way they started this year was unbelievable it was better than what it was last year but this is this is what it's going to be and if they don't come out of the gate playing their game and they fall behind 
I, I know this team has come back a little bit throughout the, this this regular season so far, but they're going to struggle a little bit more with it this year, I think, because of the lack or the I won't say lack, but like the different different style of players that they have in the team. Um, yeah, it was just an all around no show. Again, you're going to have nights like that throughout an 82 game regular season, in my opinion. And you, you chalk it up, you move on, you put it behind you, and you and, and you get on to the next one. And that that's kind of gonna what's gonna tell you, you know, how you're able to respond to adversity like this. Yeah, and and a, and a, a big thing to note about this game is that um, Matty Potra was actually benched in this game. Uh, Jim Montgomery came out and said that this was a planned you know, scratch for Matt Potra to go ahead and take a day and he sits up there on the ninth floor at TD Garden and he watches the team. And a lot of the times, that's not a bad thing for a young player, right? When you have Mm -hmm. a player that's young and having his growing pains, it's going to happen for a 19-year-old. A night up on the ninth floor allows you to kind of reassess things and recollect yourself. You're able to see maybe some things that your teammates are doing from a strategic level that you're not able to see from the bench or on the ice. And, um, you know, he's used to the rigors of a, you know, a CHL schedule. And and what those schedules are, they're, they're very heavy on the weekend games to allow these young players to participate in their regular educational responsibilities. Um so this the rigors of an NHL schedule are very different for him. And Jim Montgomery cited that as a big reason why he was scratched. He also has had a few mistakes recently that have, you know, ended up in the back of the net for the bees. But but like we've said in the past here on the two pad stack, it's to be expected. And these are the growing pains we're gonna have. He's already drastically outperformed everybody's expectations for when he came into camp. And um, you know, I was definitely not opposed to Jim Montgomery's decision to sit Matty Potra for the Buffalo Sabres game. Now, it would have been nice to see the rest of his teammates maybe show that they were invested in that game, but um, definitely not not opposed to that coaching decision. Were you all right with the the scratching of Matty Potra in the Buffalo game, Bursch? Absolutely. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, he's, he's a young kid. He's a rookie. Not used to the grind of a full 82-game regular season for, you know, at, what's played in the NHL. And yeah, I think there's a lot to be said of seeing the game from a different perspective when you're playing it. And yes, there have been games, there have been times where he's been a little bit of a defensive liability out there, you know, not to, not to take away from what he's done offensively for this team. I mean, he's been an absolute great story for this Boston Bruins team. Nobody expected him to make the team out of camp. I certainly didn't. And seeing what he's done, in the first quarter of his regular, you know, of his NHL career is what well, we even call it professional career. Cause he never played in the, in the AHL. This is his first quarter of his professional career. There's going to be hiccups. There's going to be times where he needs that, that I don't even want to call it rest, but he needs that perspective and getting that perspective of watching the game at a different level can really, really do wonders for, for a young hockey player and absolutely no issues with it. And I, I would welcome it more often throughout the rest of the season as the season, you know, progresses and as the playoffs get closer, because you are going to need him come playoff time. And I would much rather him do everything he can to perfect his game. And a lot of that is going to be observing what's going on on the ice while he's not out there. 
I agree. And, and I think that, you know, Monty was out there afterwards and he was talking about how, you know, Matty Patra is a really driven player and, and he doesn't like it, but he understands it and he will never just accept being scratched. And that's the passion that I love from a Mm -hmm. young player is you, you want to be out there. You don't want to say, okay, yeah, that's fine. You can scratch me. I made a mistake. No, you want to get out there and prove why you don't need to be scratched. Sure. And you see that every time that kid makes a mistake and he's put back out there, you see that that fire from him. You know, he's going to go out there and 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 steal a puck in a board, board battle with a guy that weighs 50 more pounds than him. And that's what I love to see. Um, in the game against the Coyotes, the very next game, um, where Patra was not scratched, uh, Jim Montgomery decided when the Bruins went up four to two um, that Matty Potra was not going to see another shift in the game. And there's been some differing of opinions and Burge is going to toss a grenade at me here soon to try to set me off. But I didn't like it because personally, yes, he made a mistake. Matty Potra made a mistake. The puck ended up in our net again, immediately after the game, he was scratched. But what do, what do I think that the Bruins wanted when they moved on from Bruce Cassidy? They wanted to move on from stapling young players to the bench in lieu of riding veterans for a full period of time. So more context on this situation here. Pavel Zaka goes down in the first period, and he's not going to return to the game. Bruins are already down to center. You just scratched the kid for an entire game so he could watch from the ninth floor and now you're giving him back into the game. And yet you're going to suddenly bench him again. Like, And I sent a tweet out there. I was like, this smells like Bruce Cassidy. And that's not an insult to Bruce Cassidy. Bruce Cassidy is an excellent coach. And there's a reason why he just won the cup. But the reason why he lost his job in Boston is because he lost the room with a bunch of players by the way he was treating the players. And the way that he scratched Matty Patra and what he had to say after the game about how he was going to play players that he thought gave him the best chance to win. It it didn't set it did it didn't settle in my stomach right. I I didn't like it at all. I mean, this game this game kind of kind of flowed a little bit weird in my opinion. You know, the Bruins went up, they gave up a couple of goals and then, you know, they 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 stayed ahead for a majority of the game and I get it's the Arizona Coyotes. We all know what they are playing out of that mullet arena down in Arizona and all that. But I'm going to push back a little bit it, it, with with the defensive mistakes that 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 do occur with with the with young players like Matty Patra. I don't have a problem with him right on the bench, even down a center. I mean, you have guys on the roster like a Trent Frederick who, or a Danton Heinen who can play the center position. And I got no problem with them moving the veteran, those kind of guys that have been out there more often in a game where you're protecting a lead to ensure that you walk away with the victory and you can piggyback off it and, you know, Monday morning quarterback, the whole thing, you know, and, and, and call it what Bruce Cassidy is. But I mean, at the end of the day, I want to see the kid respond to being put on the bench in the third period of a big game. I want to see him come out and respond to that. And I, I, I don't personally have a problem with it. Um, and I think it goes, I think there's more to it than just putting a young player on the bench and, and kind of associating it with the previous regime here, because I think it dictate what dictates it is, is, is the, 
the flow of the game. And I think that this, this was a game I only caught the highlights of. I, I was working, so I didn't watch the game. I wasn't able to watch the game, but just seeing, you know, looking at the stat sheet and the scores and everything, it seemed like a game where the, the way it was flowing, where, you know, two goal lead is the worst lead, the hardest lead to hold in, in, in hockey. Are you and, sure it's not a one goal lead when you have a, a six on five situation? No, you can ask, you can ask the Bruins that one, but <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, the, I'm taught from a young age that the two goal lead is the worst lead to have in hockey because it's a false sense of security. You give up one goal, then you're on your heels, and then all of a sudden you're tied. And I got no problem with Jim Montgomery wanting to put the best players on the ice, even if that asked for more out of the rest of the team that needed to step up and preserve that lead. And, you know, talking about the Coyotes game, they obviously did that. And I, w- I want to see what, what Matty Patra could do to respond to it. And, you know, it could go one of two ways. You know, you can either show a little bit of a lack of character, not being able to take that type of coaching, or you could see him come out and be drastically improve, you know, where, you know, where his game's at. And definitely something with the rookie is the defensive, the defensive lapses that, you know, have directly resulted with pucks in the net. And that's a little bit worrisome, but again, expected for, for a young player, only a quarter of season into his professional career. Yeah. See, I don't have a problem with sitting him down after he makes a mistake. That's not a problem that I have here. My problem is that the messaging was we're sitting you down in this game so you can evaluate things and you can get some some, you know, rest a little bit, the immediate game before. And then immediately after you're doing the same thing to him. Like obviously it wasn't just about rest you were concerned about some things in his game and you wanted him to look at things from the ninth love the the ninth floor you can't do that immediately after you you got to let the kid go out and make mistakes he's never going to learn unless he's out there actually making the mistakes and learning from them and we saw that at the beginning of the season there was no hesitation from jim montgomery to throw maddie potter immediately back out there after he makes a mistake there seems to be that level of apprehension now. And I don't know if that's because a little bit of doubt has maybe seeped into Jim Montgomery after he saw what he thought were his big dogs maybe not perform to the way that they could. Um, so maybe he thinks that they can't really kind of outscore their mistakes anymore. There's that level of concern. Um, but it just seems like the mentality with Matt Potter has changed from the coaching staff, and I'm not sure I'm 100% behind it. Um, but Bruins ended up pulling off a win regardless. They managed to not give up a goal when they had a goalie pulled, which is a win because that's been a big problem for us so far this year for the bees. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really actually liked Morgan geeky's game in this game. So with Matty Patra being scratched with Pavel Zaka being out, you know, obviously, uh, Jim Montgomery was going with a more veteran-laden uh, forward core, and that required, you know, free agent signing Morgan Geeky to go ahead and take a little bit more of an elevated role. And and I really like his game. And and the more I watch him play, it's really a great fit because he's he's not the fastest guy, but he's deceptively big and physical. Like looking at the guy, you don't see like a hulking winger like. Milan Lucic, right? You're, you're seeing just a normal looking hockey player, but when he goes into the corners and behind the, 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 the net and on the boards and boards battles, this guy's a friggin' bulldog. Like it is hard 
to take the puck away from him. And uh, you could really see that style of play from him come into the offensive side of things on that second David Pasternak goal. So, you know, Morgan Geeky goes to the net, wins a battle, wheels the puck to the net. Um, the Coyotes goaltender, uh, who, who's their goalie again that was in the net? Uh, it was Connor Ingram. Connor Ingram. Yep. Yeah, Connor Ingram kind of does the uh, the Gumby, and he's like lying down on the ice because he doesn't know where the puck is, and Pasta just pots it in the empty net. Mm-hmm. You know that wouldn't have happened without the physical gameplay that Morgan Geeky brings to the table and that chaos that he created in front of the net, just from being a big body and 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 making it happen. Um, so I did like the production from Morgan Geeky in an elevated role. And it is a good sign of things to come and, and just more roster flexibility for the bees in general. Absolutely. And, you know, he, he was kind of a guy that with Carolina, even when he was really young coming into the league, that was kind of like really good young prospect that showed some real promise in the league. And when they were able to sign him this year, it was like, this guy screams like he could be a really good fit here. He can kind of play any position on the forwards. I mean, he can play center, he can play wing and, uh, you know, fitting into that kind of that third line role has been kind of a good spot for him with, you know, the ability to play, play up into the top six. So definitely, definitely a good piece to have, you know, for this team, especially if, you know, they start dealing with the injury bug. Absolutely. Um, we had an old friend show back up in Boston uh i mean he's been in boston but back on the ice big um, tease it was a big tease for me i know i got a message on discord at like 10 30 in the morning from burge and i'm pretty sure it was like the text equivalent of like a boner mm-hmm. uh, i sent so- the gif i sent the gif to you or i tweeted <laughs> it out yep yep the tower going up <laughs> oh yeah dude uh tuka rask was spotted at warrior ice arena for boston bruins practice um jeremy swayman was under the weather and you know how tuka rask here at the two bad stack podcast can be a little bit of a uh divisive topic oh a um, little bit yeah and uh <laughs> he was out there in his old bruins pads wearing his finland mask because apparently he, he's probably probably i don't know like uh pawned his Bruins mask or something at this oh, point. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure the team, the team might have it. The team might have it. Let's be real. Yeah, <laughs> the team dude, might that, have it. That mask concept was the backup for a mm-hmm. cup-winning team. It was, uh, <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Um, but no, Burge was stoked to see Tukes back. Uh, it was it was cool to see him back out there, and nobody really knew and like, like, was he going to be actually the backup goalie for the game? Like, could Brandon Bussey get to the game on time? And um, I was definitely watching that with great interest. Tell tell me your your emotional state when you saw this bridge. I was like through the roof, dude. I was like, please God, let one of these goalies have been traded and they signed Tuka Rast to take the spot. Let's go! I'm so pumped. And even so, like just just the fact that they they had him in there. And I don't know if you if you were on Twitter at all during when this whole thing came out everybody was freaking out it was kind of hilarious about how like everyone's like oh where's the other goalie oh swayman's hurt are they gonna sign tuka to play back up today let's be real like i'm an idiot when it comes to like really digging in on tuka rask and, and going down with the ship i deleted my facebook over the guy for crying out loud but like 
I'm not an idiot. They're fucking recalling Brandon Boosie from, from Providence to take the backup role in that game because there's no way they're going to bring in Tuka Rask, who's never played, uh, hasn't played in two years to you know be a backup in an NHL game. But no, it was great to see him out there again and to see him still, you know, obviously he's sticking around town. It's 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 kind of a sweet thing to see and seeing him put the pads on. It kind of made me feel very nostalgic. You know, it's great when you have the ability when one of your goalies goes down and gets sick to have the greatest goalie in Bruins history come out and practice with you. It's one of those one of those great things that you have a luxury of here in Boston. So take note, Bruins fans. Come at me about Tuka Rask. Please come at me. I'll go down with the ship. I'll fight to the end. If you want to debate how bad or how good he was, man, we could we ace this. This podcast could go for three hours of you and I arguing back and forth about Tuka Rask, and we'll, we'll end up in a stalemate. <laughs> see, see, there's a lot of people that are just assholes about Tuka Rask, and you know, I try not to be those. I I have my opinions that are based on observations and i don't necessarily agree with burge and burge doesn't necessarily agree with me but i'm not just a blind asshole that hates to arbitrarily you know i respect him he is the all-time winningest goaltender in boston bruins history Go. and he put up some fantastic stats my biggest thing is that he just and it's not entirely his fault he never got us over the line and Tim Thomas is an inferior goaltender compared to Tuka Rask. Tim Thomas is not as good of a goaltender as Tuka Rask. Do you hear that, Burge? Spoiled. You hear it? Spoiled. I know but where you're going. Fucking one. I know where he you're got going it with this. done. Tuka Rask never got it done. And, and like want... I said, it's not exclusively his fault. But Tim Thomas did it. Jerry Cheevers did it. Tuka Rask did not do it. Tim Thomas put together the single greatest playoff run for a goaltender oh in God. NHL history. Absolutely. Not even close. And to be honest with you, you want to, excuse me, you want to talk about the assholes that just blindly hate Tuka Rask. It's because they witnessed the greatest playoff run by a goaltender in NHL history mm-hmm. and expected to see that afterwards. So the idiots that don't understand hockey and just follow the game and really don't follow the game deeply like you and I do, Dude, the fan base really does not know how lucky they are at the goaltending position for the last, we'll call it, 16 years. Never been a question. There's never been a question about the goaltending. The goaltending is not the problem. They had Tim Thomas and went to Tuka Rask, and they've rolled right into Linus Olmark and Jeremy Swayman. Like, you tell me another franchise that really has had that continuity and that ability to just move on to the next guy when the next first guy leaves like it's unbelievable and you want to credit you know goalie bob for a lot of that definitely the only other team that comes to mind is maybe the rangers from going from lundquist to shesterkin that's the only thing that comes to mind that is comparable to the level of success that the bruins franchise has had in the net position and it's unbelievable. It's it really is, and it's it's you. We, we're spoiled. We're spoiled as you know, as you and I being goalies and being able to witness the greatness and in, in net that we've had the ability to witness for the last fifteen years is unbe- is is unbelievable. Like I got the picture of Tim Thomas on the wall right behind me, right here, and I got the Tuka Rask blocker right up there. It's like, yep, bingo. The Tim Thomas autograph, love it. This it's, is a spank bank right here. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, and you know. Tuca doesn't deserve the hate. Like you can say, like, oh, he no. bailed out of the bubble. He bailed out of the bubble. Like, dude, I'm sorry. No, he had a fucking family event, and like, we we're dads here. 
and I'm not a big Tuca guy. That's not his fucking fault. He's doing what needs to be done for his fucking family. And if you bring that up, if I ever see anybody bring that up, I'm going to tell you you're a fucking clown mm-hmm. and sit the fuck down. There are plenty of things you can complain about Tuka Rask. That's not one of them. He didn't quit on his team. His wife needed his help to, to help with their daughter. That's none of your fucking business. Tuka Rask owes you nothing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, best goal that I've ever seen play. And, you know, I just think, like, think back, like, if he was really the e-bug for the game after that practice there, what would it have been like if the opponent, I think it was the Coyotes game. It was Saturday. It was. And imagine if the two goalies got hurt and Tuka Rask had to suit up in TD Garden in the opponent's gear and play against the Bruins. Like, could you imagine the storyline? What would have came out of that if that had actually happened? He'd probably finally get a big win. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. okay. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I'm interested. There, there's been a lot of talk, and, and we've already made it well established in previous episodes that you and I have our opinions on the NHL Department of Player Safety. Mm-hmm. And George Peros seems like he's got his head up his ass once again this year, and it's it's once again the proverbial spin the wheel of justice. Nobody fucking knows about what the suspensions are going to be and for what infraction. It's just it's made up, and then combined with and and every time I talk about the refs and the stripes, Burge like shits himself a little bit inside. Mm-hmm. But the officiating league-wide, not just against the Bruins, believe it or not, I'm not that much of a homer, Burge, but the officiating league-wide is incredibly inconsistent right now. And there are clear, blatant checks to the head, cross-checks to the head, hitting from behind, boarding, um, that are really, really dangerous that are just being missed. And, and, And once again, hockey is a very fast sport. It is a very difficult sport to officiate. And I do like to think that hockey is one of the better officiated sports out of the big four in North America, Um, especially in the wake of some of the shit we're seeing in the NFL, uh, except for when Patrick Mahomes is yelling about an offside that was blatantly offside. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) But um, it seems like players are starting to get fed up with the lack of consistency the lack of penalties even being called on what should be penalized plays. Um, and they're starting to take things into their own hands a little bit. Um, we saw the Red Wings captain, which everyone knows I'm not a big fan of the Red Wings, but I can confirm that Dylan Larkin was not diving when he was knocked the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And you saw um, David Perron, which once again, not a big fan of the guy, but David Perron is a veteran that knows that you protect your teammate and you protect the captain of your team. You're an original six franchise. If you watch your captain, so let's go back two years first. Let's go back one year. If you saw Patrice Bergeron get cross-checked in the head and get knocked the fuck out, especially with his concussion history, I'm not saying Dylan Larkin has a concussion history, but just saying apples to apples. If you saw Patrice Bergeron go through what Dylan Larkin did, would you be okay with, uh, James Van Riemsdyk grabbing somebody and mugging him because he thinks that he did it. Yes. Like I'm okay with that's a, that's a response. I want to see my, my teammates. So you got to stick up for your guys. All right. 
what happened to Dylan Larkin was a cheap shot, dude. He got nailed in the head and he was out cold, like motionless on the ice. And what David Perron did, he went after a guy. He went after the wrong guy. He didn't go after the guy that hit him. In fact, if you watch the video, the guy that actually hit Dylan Larkin went over to him. It was the guy signaling for the for the trainer to, hey, get out here, that kind of thing. Like, I think he knew what he did. But, like, I got no problem with a response like that. I What David Perron did, though, is part of the problem. Like, you want to go after a guy and 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 make him pay for 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 what happened to your your boy like you don't need to throw the same kind of cheap shot back at him you know what i mean like i love the response i don't love the choice of the response like i would love to see him just take the dude down give him a couple of real big hacks and really go after him than to go right at the guy's head like david perron went right at cody cc's head and you know it all hell broke loose after that so i I, I understand the six game suspension that he got. Cause I think David Perron might have a little bit of a history, you know, with, with the DOPS and all that. But at the end of the day, if the officials aren't going to see it and call it on the ice, you're right. The players are going to police it themselves and they have the ability to do that with fighting being allowed in the game and all that. Like they're going to police it and the response, no issue with it. The choice of the response uh, probably could have gone a little bit better. Yeah, and it's not just this incident either. Like we had, you know, Eric Goodbranson who received a I wouldn't say it was as egregious as the Dylan Larkin situation, but it was a probably worthy of a 5-minute boarding call or a hitting from behind whatever you want to call it. And he went down and he had his his, you know, Tweety Birds flying over his head for a couple seconds there. And if you don't know Eric Goodbranson is a very physical old school style defenseman and he got up and when he realized he wasn't there wasn't going to be the the penalty that should have been called he's like you know what if i can't trust the stripes to do what needs to be done to enforce this game i'm going to take it into my own hands and he went after nick cousins and he wasn't happy with the result at the end of that after the scrum he ended up absolutely mugging him Mm -hmm. after he got out of the box too like and that and that's just it. Like Eric Goodbranson is an old school defenseman. He didn't like the new school style of officiating, and he decided to dispense some of his own justice in an old school style. So I I don't know. I don't like it. The fact that Goodbranson had cousins in a compromised position and he was still throwing haymakers from above while he was like over the guy but this can all be prevented if the stripes are just calling the penalties that need to be called. And I was hearing some officiating uh, talk on Sirius XM NHL network radio where they were like, it wouldn't surprise me if there's a memo sent out internally to all the officials that everything that may even be usually not even called, maybe there's a few extra penalties called just to try to curb down on some of these hits from behind and boarding plays. Um, because the, the NHL, uh, officiating crew, they will send out those memos based on trends in the league and, and some of the current, you know, hot button issues and the attention that's being paid. Um, something else that I heard on that, that I thought was really interesting. I'm interested in your perspective on Burge is that I heard that there should be maybe even something similar to a concussion spotter up in the ninth floor that is watching these situations and when a player gets obviously knocked out incapacitated like a siren or something comes on 
And if anybody continues doing these scrums, the shoves, the fighting after that siren goes off, like they're going to face a five, six game suspension because it's becoming a problem where there are players that are completely mm-hmm. knocked the fuck out like Dylan Larkin was. And these players are still like trying to get at each other and pairing off and they're going to fall on a player that's already down or they're going to step on him. We've seen how dangerous skate blades can be mm-hmm. like when somebody is in a place where they are in a very susceptible or dangerous position and they cannot protect themselves sound of that siren everybody get the fuck out of here let the medical professionals get out here to help that player um would you be in support of something like that yes absolutely and you know i can think back i forget who the player was but uh, a couple of years ago a guy was knocked out in the corner and then all hell broke loose and they were literally right on top of the player in the corner i forget i think it was columbus is i think the team that it was and the goalie actually i think it was the goalie or there was a player that went out there and actually like protected the player that was down. It's like, dude, get the heck away from this dude. Like you want to, you want to mix it up and you want to do all this, do it somewhere else. Don't do it where a guy is completely out cold and completely defenseless. And that, that almost happened in, in the, uh, in the Larkin Peron incident there. I think Larkin was relatively untouched. I think his arm might've got hit a little bit, but like, that's one of those things where it's like, dude, the guy's already down and out, like be a human, like let the game go, let the retaliation go, get him later get him somewhere else on the ice. Like just get the hell away from that dude because that's how somebody is going to get badly, badly hurt. And it's, it's very scary to see that now while we're on the topic of the, like the retaliatory responses to these types of plays, I have a real problem with, not a real problem, but I have a little bit of a problem with the retaliatory plays for clean hits. And I know obviously in the heat of the moment in the game, Players may not know if the play, the hit was clean or it was dirty, but you have clean hits, good solid body checks, and people go after guys that do that just lay a hard hit. And I don't know; it must be this generation of the NHL where that's kind of going to be a norm. It's been a norm for a while now, and it's like, all right, like you want to you want to make the guy answer for his hit, get him later in the game. That's the way it used to be. Like get him cleanly later in the game. You don't have to go over and immediately mix it up on a clean hit. And that's again. Somebody's going to get badly, badly hurt doing something like that, especially if it's a clean hit and the guy maybe gets the wind knocked out of him or he's down or, or, or whatever. Like it's, it's something that's a little bit of a problem. And I think, like you said, you kind of hit the nail on the head. If DOPS is consistent and the officials are consistently calling the games across the league, you're going to see a lot of this stuff, you know, over time start to really, you know, decrease and it's something that you know i love a good scrum don't get me wrong but if somebody's knocked 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 the f out on the ground like that's not cool with me like the the priority on the ice should be getting that guy out agreed and i do think that you know something like a concussion spotter and a siren up there to alert the players because when you get into a, a a scrum it's not easy for players to know exactly what's going on away from them and they're gonna just see oh, my guy just got lit the fuck up. I got to grab my partner and make sure that they're not getting involved in this crumb. Um, that siren will allow that additional level of awareness and and let them know that this is a serious scenario and everyone needs to just chill the fuck out and let the medical professionals do their job. Um, just in general, generally speaking, you know, the NHL does a fantastic job of, of prioritizing the health and safety of their players, um, at least in an on-ice scenario. You know, the the um, trainers are all 
very highly trained, very highly qualified, and they do a fantastic job. So let's go ahead and do what we can to provide them an environment to do their job as effectively as they can to Absolutely. ensure that our, our favorite players can stay healthy and play hockey so we can watch them as long as they possibly can. Um, so we already talked about last week's uh, guest that we had. Um, we have another guest that's going to be lined up for episode 21 coming next Tuesday. Um, we could call it maybe a little bit of a uh, early Christmas present for our listeners. Um, we have a, for the first time ever on the two pad stack, we have a current member of your Boston Bruins that is going to be joining the podcast. Burge and I are going to be chatting with this member of the Bruins talking about, uh, you know, his road to the NHL, um, some causes that are very important to him, um, ways that he kind of expresses himself and more. So um, we are ecstatic to just tease that a little bit, tell you guys that you're going to want to definitely tune in next week. Um, we'll have more news later this week on who will be joining us. Um, but yeah, this is a big one for us and, and we're stoked. Absolutely. This is a, a, a major milestone for, for our podcast here and uh, definitely looking forward to talking with a current member of the Bruins. I think it's going to be a great experience and a great listen. So yeah, be sure to be following us on, uh, on the socials uh, when, you know, the announcement comes and we're looking forward to bringing that content to you. Yeah, man. It's like a, it, it, it's just like a big, like almost like a we've arrived moment for us. And uh, yeah, we're, we're very excited. Um, so like we've talked about earlier, Burge and I are nerds. Um, there's a lot of great content coming out in general uh, across the entertainment sphere. Um, Burge and I are video gamers. We've talked about video games before. There's a new show coming out on Amazon, and I'm actually really intrigued on. Um, one of my favorite games of all time is the Fallout series. Specifically, I really enjoyed Fallout New Vegas. Um, Burge, which one of the Fallout games did you really enjoy? Have you played a lot of them? Have you played I have. I honestly have not. I think Fallout 3 was the last one that I played. That's a, a good one. Yeah, I think I played it very casually. Again, it's not one that I really, really dove into much, but like you said, like a great show coming out. I happened to catch the trailer right before we started recording and it looks like it's going to be a real good one. I'm a big fan of the video game to show movie kind of transition there. And I think it's going to be another good one. That's going to be out there for us. So to, you know, to enjoy. Yeah. And I do recommend that you take a look at fallout four. If you get a chance only because I don't think it's as good as fallout three, but the setting is in Boston um mm -hmm. so just the fact that like the uss constitution's there and they have a full community in fenway park called diamond city in a post-apocalyptic world um it's definitely cool just for for you guys that are in boston and, and in the new england region that are familiar with boston just to check it out um but yeah great setting great universe i mean obviously not a great universe because society has <laughs> evolved and it's a giant uh, post-apocalyptic wasteland, but um, it's it's a kind of really great way to kind of disassociate from the day to day, um, as most video games are. Right, that's that's kind of what I do. I step into a digital world to experience something that I'll never experience in real life. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm stoked for that. Um, additionally, 
you know, I also really love the high fantasy setting. Um, so we're talking like, uh, I, I mean, to, for, for context here, uh, seven-year-old Ace was playing PC games before all of his friends were. Uh, I had EverQuest loaded up on my computer when I was a young kid. And I basically learned how to read from playing EverQuest, which was one of the original MMOs after um, uh, Ultima Online, I think, was like the first big one. Um, Sony came out with EverQuest, and I'm creating a uh, a barbarian uh, shaman named uh, Opolis, and I'm just a fucking first grader sitting at the keyboard. But I'm like this gigantic guy in a world, and like just interacting with neckbeards back in 1997. Um, and I've always really enjoyed that ability to just kind of disassociate with mm-hmm. the world around me and, and really fully immerse myself in a, like an alternative. It's the same thing that people do when they're reading books, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're able to just enjoy a, a narrative and, and transport yourself mentally into another space. And um you know, I've been in, I've been so engrossed in this world and in this type of uh, content for so long, and the same thing with Star Wars. I love Star Wars, but um, you know, one setting in particular that's really stood out to me since I've been an adult has been George R. R. Martin's work. Um, so, the if you're not familiar, he has a book series called A Song of Ice and Fire. Um, it's been adapted to a television show that everyone knows called game of thrones one of the greatest tv shows made uh of all time Mm -hmm. um it it was a masterpiece until the end Uh, um but uh house (laughs) of the dragon house of the dragon man season one was great the trailer for season two just dropped and i cannot be more stoked did you uh birds were you into uh game of thrones oh i was a diehard diehard game of thrones fan my my wife and i we would watch as appointment television 9 p.m hbo on sunday nights every week i think i think i got really got into the show right at the like in the midpoint of the second season so like i had started i had watched the whole first season got caught up in the second season and then from there on out it was appointment television every sunday night at nine o'clock in front of the tv watching game of thrones hands down top tv show for me of all time just being able to watch it for i think it was what it was almost eight nine years that that it went on and i just i loved the whole the whole storyline the way it worked the, the savagery of the show you know not afraid to kill off main characters at any point you never knew it was coming and it's just yeah an unbelievable experience i did dabble in the house of dragon i I think I have two se- two episodes left in the first season that just fell by the wayside, given everything that's been going on and, you know, my family life and everything with new babies and all that. So it hasn't been something that my wife and I have gotten back to just yet, but mm-hmm. something that is definitely planned looking forward to the second season of that. Again, that world of, you know, Westeros and, and, and all that is just an unbelievable setting. And like you said, it's an escape. It's an escape from reality to really get involved in like, this this fantasy world where anything kind of goes and again yeah up until the end i mean i didn't necessarily hate the ending i'm not one of those people that will bash the show because of the way it ended it did feel rushed i think we can all agree on that that they rushed it and 
And it, it's a little bit of a bummer the way that it ended. It was a little bit predictable, I guess you could say. But yeah, unbelievable story. I mean, so many moments where your jaw just dropped to the floor in an episode, you know, at the end of the season where you're like, oh my God, that really just happened. And it seemed like it was a, a thing that occurred regularly. I mean, unbelievable and definitely looking forward to the second season. Yeah, man. Like, uh, just, just to tell the story. So, um, my, my oldest daughter is named after Arya from a song of ice and fire. So Arya in the books is a very different character from Arya in the show. Not saying Arya in the show is a bad character, but, um, I just really, really enjoyed her character arc and it, it resonated with me a lot. And the wife really enjoyed it too. So we ended up naming our oldest child after that. And, uh, you know, to see how their original show, Game of Thrones, ended all because David and Dan wanted to run off and do something else and wrap up their project. HBO offered them more money for budget, offered them to extend the series to another season. But these two clowns were so focused on running off and doing their next big project, which was ironically supposed to be a Star Wars project, mm -hmm. that they half-assed everything. Mm -hmm. They rushed to reach a conclusion that allegedly George R.R. R. Martin said is correct, but I imagine now that he's seen the blowback on it, maybe he's reconsidering. Not like he's ever going to fucking finish I know. the series anyway. He's going to die before that. He's going to die before Christ. that. Christ. But um, I, I I never read the books. I started to, and I was like, I'm oh, too, so I'm good. too, I'm too engrossed in the in the in the show. I'm not a big reader, so like, audible I, man, I, get an audiobook. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, it's just yeah, the whole the whole the whole universe is just to me was like a, a huge thing. And I mean, I remember watching the Red Wedding, you know, when that happened. You know, obviously that was a major major episode in the series, and. I, like an idiot at the time, I was so engrossed in the whole thing that I ended up like Googling like just Game of Thrones and just like looking, scrolling through Wikipedia harmlessly. And I stumbled upon the events of how that was going to happen like five <laughs> weeks or four weeks before. And I was like, oh, that's the last time I'm going to do that. And th that whole moment was ruined for me because I did that. And I'm sure like if I had oh, read the books, no. I would have known I would have known it was coming with the books if I had read the books before the show. But like I was so engrossed in the show. And when that happened, I was a big, big bummer for me. And then like all my friends were like, oh, yeah, they're going to they're going to take them out. And I'm like, eh, OK, yep, I'm not spoiling anything for you. I already know what happens, but OK. And I remember remember right when the moment happened, I texted all my friends. I was just like I said, I just said the word boom to them because I'm like, I knew it was coming. And the way that they did it was so graphic. It was so graphic. It was so it made it so real. So, so if it was that good for you, just imagine how it was for the book readers, right? That knew all that stuff was some of my favorite things to do for a while there in, you know, the early 2010s was to just go on YouTube and watch the live reactions from people that didn't read the books and were just watching the show, like and, and some oh, of those major yeah. events, like. When Ned Stark gets, we're we're past the uh, the threshold of spoilers, guys. Yeah. Like if you haven't watched his show yet, this is your own fault. I don't feel bad mm -hmm. for saying these things. Mm -hmm. Like when Ned Stark got a little taken off the top, people were like, "Like that's a major actor. Like Sean Bean is not an like an insignificant actor. He, he dies in every movie that he's in or show that's that he's in. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Boromir. 
<laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, like that was a big moment for me. I love Sean Bean as an actor, and it was really that when he died there, like that was when I stumbled upon the fact that like 90% of the movies that he's in, he ends up dying. Yeah. So like, it was like, okay, if I'd known that beforehand, I was like, okay, he's going to die. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's gotten very good at acting death, which mm-hmm. is, um, it reminds me of something else that I heard from, uh, you know, uh, Christopher Lee while he was in the Lord of the Rings films, like, uh, Peter, J- Peter Jackson, is that the name of the director? Yeah. I think he did the, yeah, he, he was directing the, um, Lord of the Rings films and he's like, He's like, yeah. Um, so what I want you to do is, when you get stabbed, I want you to go, ah. And Christopher Lee, legendary British actor, legendary. He's he's like, actually, you know, they don't actually make that noise when they're stabbed and they're dying. And Peter Jackson's like, what the fuck did you just say to me? <laughs> Christopher Lee's like, oh yeah, I, I served in the military. You know, they literally don't make that noise. They just kind of gurgle and go. And Peter Jackson's like listen i'm not gonna argue with you like you obviously know far more about this than i do i have never been there when a man was stabbed in the chest to death so uh, i'm gonna go ahead and just adapt what you're having to say here chris so crazy dude um but yeah i can't wait for house of the dragon season two can't wait for fallout um i'm a gigantic halo fan and i hated the first season of halo on paramount plus but i'm still gonna watch that shit um there's a lot of great stuff cooking here uh can't wait for it um before we wrap do you have any closing thoughts Burge? no man i mean a lot of good tv coming really really stoked to get that announcement out to you guys about next week's episode really really amped about that that this uh this opportunity that our our podcast has i'm really looking forward to that and yeah i mean a lot of good stuff going on and Let's keep going to the moon, baby. Two pads stack to the moon. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to episode 20 of the two pad stack podcast. Um, we will be back next week. We'll probably take a break after episode 21 for the holidays. Um, probably see us back after the new year. Um, probably right there uh, on uh, probably January 2nd or something. So um, thanks again for listening. We appreciate you. Uh, check us out on socials check out primetime productions go to seek geek buy some tickets use the code two pad stack pod um, check out the uh, bobby or collection and uh, check us out next week we'll see you then peace, peace.